0: like oh let's try to get to this big and then we'll sell and then we'll do this it's like i don't really that seems like a flawed business plan to me i think it's just like let's just keep working on making the best product we can keep people happy you know make sure our team is valued treat them as well as we can and you know from there we'll have good things
1: welcome to the irresistible factor a podcast where i talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm really excited today to have Marshall Radar as my guest, and he is one of the co-founders of GFB. So welcome to the podcast, Marshall.
0: Hello. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah. We're so happy to have you. Why don't you talk a little bit and explain the initials and what GFB actually stands for now and what it stood for when you started?
0: Sure. Yeah. So when we first started, you know, it's been, it's hard to believe now, but I think it was 11 years since we shipped our first product. or Almost 11 years now. And so back then, gluten-free was something that most people still not heard of. And so that was the initial reason we started a company. I was diagnosed with celiac disease and going gluten-free was really, there was a challenge. There's some tough parts too, but overall it was a really positive, life-changing event. And it was traveling a ton for my job at the time. And so I was buying bars and just, you know, I couldn't find just a good, in- a bar with good ingredients that made me feel good, that gave me energy and protein that I actually like looked forward to eating. So we initially started with a bar, and because gluten-free wasn't really a thing then, but we thought it was a growing market, we wanted to call it the gluten-free bar. So it stood out as to what it was and focused on, you know, it was very obvious uh, who we were supporting. And then over the years, we had a lot of new products. Our Bites line is our more popular line today. We have a high protein oatmeal product line, and we still have our bars as well. So. We are now the Gluten-Free Brothers because, you know, obviously my brother and I started the company and so that part won't change. We know that we're always going to be the Gluten-Free Brothers and but we have a variety of products and looking to bring out more innovation in the future. So thought it would be a more appropriate name to cover who we are today and kind of where we're going in the future.
1: That's kind of amazing. I mean, 11 years ago, there was not a lot of gluten-free and there certainly weren't a lot of snacks, right? I mean, the people who were doing it were doing it for people who really couldn't eat anything and had to do take whatever they got right it wasn't right. It didn't taste good and it was just a sort of desperate measure to feel okay so talk about the change in the market from when you started to now it's tremendous
0: yeah it's been tremendous from it's hard to believe that yeah 10 or 11 years ago it was like not only was the gluten-free world different but just like if you go to expo year you're just a regular consumer and you go to the store it's like variety of the options have just dramatically increased. And so when we started selling our bars, I mean, even whether it was a large customer or just a store on the street, or a coffee shop or whatever that I would walk into and try to see if they want to carry our products, like the first question was like, "What is gluten?" And then I remember a major customer, our first major customer I called on, they are like, "Why do I care about gluten?" And within like two or three years, they had a gluten-free set in every one of their stores. They went from not even knowing what gluten was to dedicating 20 to 30 feet of their store to a Bloom set in two years.
1: So it's interesting because it probably in a lot of ways, I'm sure it wasn't easy because you didn't have as big of an audience for it. So from that perspective, you didn't have as many potential consumers, but you probably did have an easier time getting into stores because there were less brands that even knew about it. So what's the difference? But like, is it harder now in some ways?
0: Yeah, so... I think you're right. I mean, it was like, this is the only game in town if I want to service this growing customer base. So it probably did make it easier for us. Probably helped us with our focus early on just to be like, this is our consumer we're going after. Today, there's so much more competition, but that also has been helpful in some ways because the same thing sort of happened we started selling bites, which come in a four ounce pouch, essentially a protein bar nutrition, but a much more like fun and snackable form where you can have one bite, two bites, three bites at a time and not eat a whole bar or, Eat half a bar and let it dry out and throw it away later. So it's a much more convenient, snackable like, kind of protein bar format. When I started walking to retail with that, they said, what are these? These are really cool. But like, where do I sell them? Where do I put them in my store? I don't have a spot for this. And so that was the next challenge. And then eventually some really great brands came into that category, large and small, whether it's like, you want to think of maybe like Rhythm, you know, kale chips or kale chips mm-hmm. or beet chips or, or Brads or Dang. Or, you know, even other other trail mix brands, like they kind of helped build up that what people would call it the clusters category or the pouch snacks or Whole Foods calls it functional snacks.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) So once that category existed, then we actually had a category to sell into. Until the category existed, we were just sort of people like really liked it. But they were saying, we don't really know where to put this in our store, but it's cool. So that's a scenario where now that category exists. And now we can say we have something to, to talk to the retailers about and hopefully get into that category. But now, yes, the, that means the competition's increased more because now other brands have acknowledged that category exists as well.
1: Yeah. Is it harder to sell now than it used to be because of the competition? Or is it, do you still have sort of first mover advantage? Feels like that's tough
0: yeah you know we probably because we've been a business that has operated you know we bootstrap the business for the first seven or eight years of the company we do things a little bit differently we didn't raise a bunch of capital and try to go as fast as humanly possible we make all the products ourselves in our own facility so you know whether that's the right or wrong strategy or, or somewhere else so the first mover advantage i think we were the first company out there with bites like ours no one still makes bites like us because it's it's pretty difficult. So it's a pretty interesting process. So I think that's helped a little bit. But I think overall, you know, looking back on it, I think it's helped us kind of with credibility and continues yeah. to because we, we have some innovation heritage. We have, you know, things like that. But ultimately, it's kind of who's making the customer happiest, who's selling well on the shelf. And so it's that's still the goal every day.
1: So talk about your distribution channels now. Like how big is your distribution at the moment? So we are probably about
0: fifteen thousand stores, U.S. and Canada. You know, our most popular channel has always been kind of the, in in, in spins data term would be the Bulo channel. For the rest of us that just go to the store and shop, you'd think of it as a grocery store. Yep. You know, Kroger, Meyer, Publix, also you know uh, the natural grocery chains like Sprouts and Whole Foods, and other ones that I'm not remembering right now, like The Outlets and Spartan Stores. That's always been our bread and butter. And that's where we do a lot of our sales, really growing in kind of that convenience, food service, you know, on-the-go type situation, whether it's airports. Um, obviously, that's been down for a couple of years with COVID, but has done a good, good part of our business for a long time. But yeah, a lot of times people would say, well, you must do really well in the natural channel. And we do, but I, you know, the majority of our business is, is kind of that conventional grocery channel.
1: So interesting. And do you think that's because... It sort of crossed over like it is gluten-free. Yeah. But it doesn't matter as much if it is or not.
0: I think the consumer really drove the retailers, to, you know, to have more natural foods in yes. their sets. You know, I mean, yeah. some stores, they attack it a lot of ways. You know, hold Out East has some stores that have kind of the natural food store within a store. Mm-hmm. Um, other places just have more natural products in with their regular assortment. So I think the retailer or the consumers are really driven the retailers to carry more natural products. It's a growth area for the commercial yes. retailers. So that's been a big piece of it.
1: What um, what did you guys do to scale? Did you raise capital a bunch of times or have you bootstrapped? We were bootstrapped for the first seven
0: or eight years. We have one partner
1: who's a great guy,
0: not only for experience and mentorship, but he's, he's our only investor. So it's a great relationship there. And we That's just the strategy we pursued, kind of focusing on Making great product, trying to have an impact socially and environmentally, and of course with our team, and then growing in a responsible way where, you know, we make everything ourselves in our, in our own facility. So that's a big part of kind of who we are and what we offer. And uh, so we've, yeah, that's been the strategy is kind of the um, more reasonable growth and just kind of satisfy the mission, keep the customers happy and grow over time.
1: That's pretty unique. I don't think I've talked to many brands that have been around for as long as you guys have and have grown as much into so many outlets without, you know, some other kinds of investment.
0: Right. You know, both strategies work after doing this for 11 years, but I do it the exact same way over again. I mean, I've learned a lot, but I do really, I think everybody at GFB is there for a good reason. And it's not, and I'm bored with the strategy of, you know, it just fit who we want to be. Like we want to have our own facility, employ a team that, that cares about the products, focus on the consumer focus on the customer, and do things right. And to do that, we just felt like we had to go about it the way that we did. And we were fortunate to have some great retail partners early on. We could be mm-hmm. profitable and invest those profits back in the business and get off to a good start that way.
1: So you talked about lessons you've learned and maybe there are things you would do differently. Can you talk a little bit about some of that? Like what things have you learned that you wish other people would know so maybe they could avoid some of the things So
0: on the spot which what would i say i mean i think ultimately it's the most obvious thing but it's true like it really comes down to people on the team and it's super hard when you're starting out and you start you know give the analogy of like you know when you start out and someone says well you need to get your partnership agreement done and you're like we've only sold a hundred dollars for the product am i really going to negotiate some agreement about X, Y, and Z and think about, you know, whether you know, person A can do this job three years from now. And it's like that's really difficult to do that. Because in that moment you're like, we don't, we're not even a company yet. We don't even sell anything yet. So, but it's all about people and having people in the right spots for sure. Number one. And you know, with that kind of trust your gut, you kind of know pretty quick if things are going in the right direction or not. And so the old adage of, of hire slow and mm-hmm. fire fast, of course, respectfully is true because you just don't know what's happening. If There's always things that are not happening that could be without the right, yes. right, right people on the team. And then, you know, strategy wise, big picture, like how we approach the business. I still really like the fact that we've done it the way we have it's just a different path and co-packing or making products yourselves just present different challenges. Yes. You know, they're just different. There's still challenges there. So, but thinking that through along with your resources and your commitment, I would say that focus, you know, one piece of advice I got early that I'm not sure I followed was go deep, not wide. Yes. Meaning like if you're going to make bites, for example, make sure your bites are the best and you knock out bites and you don't spread yourself too thin. And maybe that means if you start a company in Boston, you should sell everybody in in the Northeast first before you go try somewhere else and make sure you perfect it before you roll it out nationally or try to expand. And I think that's a really good one. We've done that some times, other times we haven't, but I think kind of that's a really good piece of advice, of like get your act together before you try to go everywhere with it. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And also, like I guess the last one I learned from another person in a previous business before I started was like, even if you're tiny, you know, I think one of the things that helped us early on is that it's from a corporate background. So, like, even if we didn't really have a real company yet, you know, you could be organized and show up prepared and show up on time. And, you know, even that sounds weird, even 10 years wearing a suit to a meeting, you know, and that's not really the thing in the natural foods industry, but that was my thing in a previous job. So I would walk into a meeting with a suit on. And I, wow. I knew my numbers, and I think that just helped with some credibility early on. Now I feel like if I'm a student, it's almost like I don't know what I'm doing because no one in this industry does that. But point being, you know, I think just kind of having, whether small, tiny, or emerging, kind of having your act together as it relates to the basics of filling orders, communicating to your customer. How many times do you reach out to a place you try to buy something from, or I have already bought something from, and they never respond?
1: Mm-hmm. a lot
0: a lot and so for us it was like from the bait like from the basic part of when we started the business like if someone writes us we're going to respond yeah and we have to respond in a timely manner, like because that's just what you do yeah and so i think like that kind of just basic execution is sometimes not done even by larger companies so it gives you a chance to stand out
1: i think it's interesting that you're talking about that because the natural foods industry is definitely more casual from a the way you talk and the way you look perspective. But I think what you're saying is make sure you're taking it as seriously as you expect the people who you want to write you checks or give you distribution to take it. Because if you're going in to meetings and you're casual and you're not familiar with all your info, why would someone take you seriously?
0: Yeah. They got to trust that you're going to deliver and put the product to the shelf or they're going to lose out. So yeah, you know, a student might not be necessary these days, but uh, certainly Inspiring confidence that you can fulfill on what
1: you're promising
0: is is always a big thing.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Talk about, I know you're a certified B Corp. Mm -hmm. I also know how hard it is to get certified as a B Corp because I've considered it and it is a job or a job or maybe more than one job. So talk about the decision to do that, because I'm sure it took you guys a lot of time and took a lot of your resources away from other things for at least the time you were doing it.
0: Yeah, so we've been certified B Corp, I think it's uh, over six years now. So we were really early on to the B Corp you know, that certification, and that's led by my brother. That's always been a big part of who he is personally and what he's brought to the business. And yeah, it is. We have our random inspections by the FDA. We have our annual food safety inspection for our certification, as well as a bunch of other things like non-GMO and certified gluten-free, et cetera. And this is the most in-depth one covers every part of our business, how we compensate our team to how we recycle and upcycle, et cetera. So it's a hard one to get, and we work on it all the time, just like we do with our food safety one. You've got to be working on it throughout the year. You can't just show up to an audit and expect to pass it. So, And that's really driven a few things that we've done to really try to continually add to that program. So we've been a zero-waste facility for about, I think, over three years now. We're a zero-waste facility, which means over 90% of what comes into our facility does not go to the landfill. It gets upcycled, recycled, or reused. A lot of innovative weird things happen in that area where you're finding people that need five-gallon buckets or drums or whatever it is that, they can, that they're reusing to repurpose for something else in the future. Another big thing we do, we've, we've had an inclusive hiring program for a long time, so focusing on folks that have challenges gaining employment, oftentimes a criminal background. Just like they traditionally would have a challenge getting a job, that just seems like everyone deserves a second chance. So that's part of what we do there. Most recently, we added to our environmental piece with Consumers Energy, who is in Michigan. We source all renewable energy from them now through wind and solar farms. So all the GFBs are made with clean energy. We started either I think, April 1st.
1: That's amazing. So do all the things that you just talked about cost more money to do? Yes,
0: the certainly the it'd be cheaper and faster and easier to throw everything out. Yeah, you know there is certain cost sometimes to different hiring practices. Yeah, and there's also yeah certainly from an energy standpoint we know exactly how much it costs. We pay more money to get the kind of the premium clean energy. So yeah, each one of those has a cost, but you know I think going back. I would also say we haven't done a great job of we do those things because like that's just who we want to be. And that's when we did the B Corp certification the first time in 20, I think 2016 now. Yeah. We should not say really talk about being a B Corp more, but talk about doing the things that we're doing and actually making an impact. Yes. And so we're trying to improve our marketing efforts there. We have a new marketing director that came on board about a year ago who is doing a better job communicating that some of our branding and our new packaging that's coming out and our website updates. So folks know kind of what we're doing. I think people care and want to support brands that are doing the right things. They do. Um, we've been doing those. We just haven't always communicated in that
1: world. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important because it's not really, you know, chest pounding. It's really saying we think this is important and we know you do too. So yeah, I mean, it's important right. to people. It's not like a thing that you're just talking about. I think when you guys became certified as a B Corp, I would guess that virtually no consumers would have known what that even meant. And most brands didn't even know what it
0: meant. <laughs> Correct. And now it's getting there where you have, may have a meeting or talk to somebody and you ask them if they know. And it's about 50-50. But yeah, yeah. Early on. It, was, it was kind of like selling gluten-free early on. People yes. were like, what is this and why do I care?
1: So I think <laughs> it's interesting. And that's really a very cool part of your story is that you guys seem like you've always done what you thought was right. Period. You didn't do it because you were going to make more money because you definitely weren't. You didn't do it because everyone else was getting certified as a B Corps because they weren't you just felt like you were doing the right things. And I think there's something about that, which is really awesome because, you know, there are loads of stories that are the other way where people have decided to do things because they're supposed to, or consumers want them to, but you guys genuinely did it because you thought it was right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I'm a big, I'm a big quote guy. And so what I think one of the, one, one of the quotes and it's going back to the advice question you asked earlier is, you know, why are you doing what you do? Or, you know, people are like, oh, I want to start my own business. And, you know, it's like, if you're in it for the money, you'll never make it because it's just not enough to keep you going through all the hard yep. times. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure.
1: What's your biggest challenge right now? The biggest challenge today, I think, is,
0: you know, we have growing pains, you know, just as companies like us grow and you're trying to go 20, 30% a year, you're just going through some of that stuff that happens where, you know, can the plant supply all the products? You need other team member? Can team member A no longer grow with the company anymore? Yeah. So. I'd say generally, but, and those are good problems. Like, you want to move up in your level of problems. So, it's a good problem to have where you can't fill all your orders, which is kind of where we're at right now. But we're getting there and we're making a lot of good progress because I think, you know, we're still battling the same here, you know, every couple of weeks or a few weeks or some sort of, you know, seems to be flatlining, knock on wood, but like, you know, supply issue. And there's this has been consistent for a long time. Like, that ingredient's late, the packaging's late, this is late, we can't get this. This is going up in price. That's grant price. This The lead time is now 16 weeks instead of 12 weeks. Like that's been kind of the, the mode of operation for probably six months to a, at least at least six months to a year now of that kind of stuff. And so just dealing with kind of that day-to-day, there's not been a, you know, pre-2020, there was the regular challenge of business. And since 2020, it's like the regular challenge plus like, always kind of a new surprise happening. Like a
1: lot of them in a row.
0: And they're very unrelated to your core business. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, meaning if our core business is to make great products and make consumers happy and partner with our retailers, like it's almost all ancillary to that.
1: Yep, Yep. Yeah.
0: So, you know, whether it was finding people to work on the team, that seems to have changed around over the last six months. But that was a real struggle during during the height of COVID. We had months during COVID early on where like we literally from one month to the next sales would go down 50% and then up hundred percent. And actually that's a challenge.
1: Yeah, because,
0: But yeah, that's flat line now for the most part from a revenue standpoint, but yeah, it just seems like since the last 24 months, it's been always something new and interesting that is not the kind of your core business
1: mm-hmm. and not easy to solve.
0: No, not easy. And so then there's a bunch of work on supply chain and qualifying new suppliers and different ingredients and, and then that requires more non-GMO, GMO paperwork. And there's just, you know, just just lots to do.
1: Yeah. But um,
0: everyone else has the same problem we do, you know?
1: It's true. It's true. And you're growing and you made it through the, probably the hardest two years that have ever happened. So that's pretty yeah. awesome. Do you guys think you'll ever have to do a big round of capital raising or you want to try to do what you're doing and continue that way?
0: Our number one goal is to be a successful business. And that creates, you know, making great products, treating the team as well as possible, you know, really valuing the team and partnering with our retailers, then like, we'll let things go from there.
1: How do you support 15,000 retailers? Well, you mean like day-to-day basis? In general, that's a lot of retailers to support. That's why when you talked about going deep, not wide at first, that makes so much sense to me because obviously the more places your product exists, the more consumers you have to find to send to those places right
0: yeah well you can see yeah. I, I, I didn't listen to that piece of advice we went wide
1: but you know and
0: part of that is like it's advice part of it's like when you're starting a company and somebody wants to buy from you, you so decide. exciting yeah and you say like hey no it doesn't work in my long-term strategy i'm going to stay over here now like you just you know uh we have a lot of great broker partners we work with relatively small sales team uh, i would say a pretty small sales team but they do a great job of working good broker team and you know, our customer service lead has been with us since day one. Wow. So she knows everything. Yeah. And can and really communicates really well to our customers when, you know, like we've been going through for a couple of years and weird times of just communicating what to expect, when things are coming, when things are available. You know, a lot of it's, of course, the ground level execution with trade spend and promotions and things like that. But it's yeah. also just the, the daily execution of the communication and, and if we don't have the order, for example, let's make sure that they know it when it's back in stock Yeah. versus, you know, just sort of, yeah. you know, hoping they did not say anything and just, you know, crossing our fingers. So yeah. just more open communication, I think, is a big part of who we are and how we work with our retailers too.
1: How do you decide when to innovate and when to create new products versus continuing to push the ones that you already have and are successful with?
0: Yeah. So this is a good, that's a good internal debate that we have. You know, I, I always want new stuff, but the reality is that, you know, when rubber hits the road, if you can't fill all your orders for your current stuff, how are you going to make new stuff? Yeah. So, but that, again, that part of that is just blurred by the last, you know, history of COVID. I think the short answer to your question is like, if you really see an opportunity somewhere, yeah. which we see a couple today, you know, we need to be building the business to, and where we think our customers are looking for products and not finding it today, we need to build something to be there. So yeah. it's a blend of both, but, you know, you can't just innovate. I think for us, you know, innovation has been, you know, we were kind of early in gluten-free bars and we were very early, probably the first company to make bites yeah. in this format. And then our high-protein oatmeal was the first product to be in that like folding bowl package. So when we want to innovate a product, we don't want to just be like, oh, someone did a great job with that. That's just maybe just go copy that because yeah. there's a market opportunity. I think for a brand our size, we have to actually have we have to deliver a better product.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so I think we've got to see an opportunity to actually deliver a better product to the market than exists today. And if we see that, then we'll then we'll go at it and figure it out, which we're which we're doing right now, hopefully with a couple of new things for next year.
1: Oh awesome. Did the gluten-free snack balls outsell the bars? Like are you have you sort of moved from bars or are you still doing bars? Yeah. We're still doing bars. You
0: know, I still love the bars. I eat them all the time. But yeah, the bites are just... Bites, good. bites. Bites or balls are very interchangeable. But uh, yeah, those are our number one line today, you know, partially because they're flexible to so many places in the store. totally, And to different events, you know, your different parts of the day, you know, whether it's on the way to the gym or school or in the yeah. morning, like there's more flexible than a bar from a eating standpoint. You know, over the years, I was a huge bar buyer before we had the GFB and I was a huge bar eater and I used to only eat bars. And now it's probably like 50, 50, or maybe I eat more bites today. And a couple of years ago, even though I was earning more in product line, I just wasn't really eating much of them. And
1: now I get way more often than I used to. Interesting. Yeah. I feel that. First of all, there are so many bars. There aren't so many bites. So that's really awesome. I'm excited to hear what you guys have coming next though, because I do think that you've done a really good job of innovating and, And I think not going crazy with innovation either, like there are things that just feel like, and I think it's partly retailer pressure, but I think you just have to be smart about it. So I think you guys definitely have. And I think that was an amazing sort of discovery, whether you bumped into it or you were like, hey, this is going to be a better form. It definitely is a more interesting form.
0: Yeah. I'd love to say that we really knew what we were doing, but we didn't. We just got lucky. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think that happens a lot though. I yeah. mean, what were you doing? You at it, what were you doing before this brand?
0: Yeah. And I think so. Yeah. I mean, I did, we did, I'll just talk about the bites. Real quick. We did, we did have an insight. You know, we had a lot of customers as small as we were that were saying, like, I don't want a full bar. Yep. And so we thought about making mini bars. but Everybody else does that. And we came up with this thing. And we're like, let's just give it a shot. You know, that was going wide and not deep, but it, was, it turned out to be a really great decision. So my life before this was, I always like to say this because it's, It was the exciting world of paint sales. Do you say paint? Paint. Yeah. To make it sound more sophisticated, we call them coatings. (laughs) Uh, It was industrial coatings. So again, it's got to sound more exciting than it is. So my customers were in like the heavy equipment industry. So I was going to like heavy equipment plants could be in Asia or Mexico or the U.S. or Brazil or whatever to their plants and supplying paint to their production lines.
1: That's wild. That's a very interesting switch. What made you feel like, first of all, did anything that you did then translate to what you decided to do ultimately?
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was my first real sales job.
1: Yep.
0: So first time really working with, you know, I'd worked with customers before, but I was never like the, the main person. Worked with some really awesome people there that were super smart. That I learned a few things from, but yeah, it was without that job. I mean, that's when I talk about like being prepared in meetings when I went to go yeah. see Meyer or I think Stop and Shop was another big customer early on. Like I came from presenting to Caterpillar or Komatsu. And so I kind of was like treated the same way. So yeah, that helped me a ton, be prepared for those meetings and kind of know what to expect from a sales standpoint, for sure.
1: Wow, that's wild. And what made you think this is a really, I don't know how you'll answer this, but what made you think that you could leave that job and do this job? Like, what point did you say, all right, I'm rolling the dice. I'm out of here on my paying job and I'm going to something that's just a crapshoot?
0: Yeah. Well, I guess what got me to finally quit was, you know, so we're from Michigan, myers based in Michigan. Yep. They were our first major retailer. I called them, I got a chance to present, and they were bringing us in. I was kind of doing this on the side with my brother, and we had the website going. and I would go to a, a bakery out in the suburbs of Chicago, so in Chicago, I'd go out there and make, you know, however you make it a day, a couple thousand bars and package them by hand and ship out online orders for walking out of the post office and walk to the local coffee shops and sell the product. And so that's what I was doing kind of on my spare time on the weekends and whatever at nights. And then, but then when Meyer, I think gave us the first order. I was, I remember talking to a friend and he was like, if you think you might screw this opportunity up because you're going to be trying to do both things at one time and you have to quit your job. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. Right. So I did that. Just looking back on it, it probably seems a lot harder than it actually was, but I think I don't have anything else that give me the confidence that I could do it other than like, how many times are you going to get this opportunity? I didn't have any kids yet. I wasn't married. So it was like, this is probably my shot if I'm ever going to do something that I actually really am passionate about and care about. It was probably more of that than actually having confidence. I can make it work.
1: (laughs) Well, I think that's an interesting point though. You know, sometimes when I ask people to give advice to founders, that's the one thing they say the most. If you don't have passion for what you're doing, just don't do it because it's going to be really, really hard. And you're going to give up a lot of things and time and all that stuff. And so if it's not about that. And it's just like you said it before, if it's about the money, this isn't the thing to do. Go find a different way to make money. Yeah, for
0: sure. I guess uh, whether it was different jobs or other things, it's like, you know, a big part of this is just, yeah, I don't know the answer either, but I'm just going to keep going forward put one foot in front of the other and the, the path will appear as I walk down it, you know? Yeah. Um, you're not going to know. You're just not going to know, you know? The only way you can know is if you just start going, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. So. Were you nervous when you did it? When I resigned? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, my boss knew that something was up when we were going to uh, grab a drink or something after a meeting. And he was like, so what's up? When are you going to resign? Or something like that. I was like, we were pretty good friends. He knew He could tell that I was nervous.
1: Oh, wow. Well, it seems to have worked out. I mean, 11 years later, here you are.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we've come a long way. But I think the best is yet to come. I think uh, we've got a great team now coming out of these two years of kind of like Unpredictability, certainly there still is a lot of unpredictability, but we really you know put the brand in a great position. John, our marketing director, really has really evolved the brand. Everyone will see the new packaging. It's on our website today. we're going to be shipping it in the next few weeks, and we'll transition, Absolutely. you know, uh, over the next few months to that packaging. So I think the brand's in a great spot. product where I spend a lot of my time is, I think the best product we've been making, the most consistent, and so just working to you know keep that going, I think the best is ahead of us still.
1: Amazing. Where do you want to be in five years?
0: On a golf course.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Still in the business. That's,
0: yeah, like I said, you know, I think people get into trouble when they start to think about that. The end is in mind in terms of like, oh, we need to be this much capacity to service this many customers. We need to do this. We, we need innovation here. We see opportunities here. Like we need to have all those conversations. But like trying to work on like, I just think I'm sure it works for other people. It just want not work for me like, oh, let's try to get to this big and then we'll sell and then we'll do this. It's like, I don't really, that seems like a flawed business plan to me. I think it's just like, let's just keep working on making the best product we can, keep people happy, you know, make sure our team is valued, treat them as well as we can. And, you know, from there, we'll have good things.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that's a really good attitude. I think a lot of people come into, especially now, because there's so many new brands popping up and there's so much appetite from a, funding standpoint i think right. people come in with with an exit plan in their head before they even think about what they want to make and that's probably uh much i don't know if it's a harder road but it's probably not as much fun that's for sure i'm sure some people
0: can make that work it's just they definitely do that there's so much capital in the industry that's why expo west has had a, i don't know how much bigger it is than it was 10 years ago but it's, it's much ridiculous. ridiculous yes yeah so it's not us right just not who the gfb is
1: Awesome. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? I mean, you've been very generous with your time. I really appreciate it.
0: No, other than just, you know, always looking for feedback. So, folks, check out our website or, you know, see what the new brand and packaging look like as we've evolved this to hopefully just reflect more of who we are and where the brand's going. But yeah, any feedback's always welcomed. And if you haven't tried the GFB, please look us up, find us on our website or Amazon, or hopefully, you know, there's a grocery store near you that carries the product as well.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And this is a great podcast. There's a lot of good lessons in here for people. So thank you. Thanks so much,
0: Christy. appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.